Wow, um, being the last one <clears throat> on the sec last day of the presentation in the sidetrack, um, I'm impressed that there are still people here that are not sleeping. You know, like, it's professionally what we call this slot um, the twilight zone. Um, and I know that you guys are tired after two days of conferencing and learning and JavaScripting. Um, so, I hope that this talk is going to be a little fun for you. Um, that said, you know, like I've added a few jokes here and there, but uh, my wife tells me that my dad jokes are absolutely terrible. So, we'll see how that works out for you guys. Nobody laughs. That's a good start. <laughs> Hi, my name is Pierre. And you might remember me from such amazing projects, such as the Java Servlet API, the Java API for XML, Java, SE, Java 2 SE 1.5, and a lot more Java goodness. And I'm sure that right now you're actually wondering whether I am at the right conference here. Well, I am. Um, you see, like a few years back when I was living in Tokyo, I met this fine gentleman. His name is uh, Jed Schmidt. Uh, we were working together. And uh, he's one of the creators of, for example, Brooklyn.js. is quite a famous name over there. Um, and he, you know, thanks to the beatings of this fine gentleman, I kind of like... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. I abandoned the dark side and converted to this wonderful world of Node.js. Let me tell you, life since then has been all ponies and rainbows. But uh, I want to point out one thing. Um, I know that I'm going to anger some of you here. I am not a, you know, like I'm definitely not into Star Wars. I am more of a Trekkie myself. So, you know, just in case. But enough about me, and let's get into the nitty-gritty details of this talk. So today we're talking about the almighty toilet paper roll. And now I'm sure they are really wondering, am I at the right conference? Um, how many of you are familiar with this wonderful object? <laughs> I mean, you know, if not this one, we can get the black one. It's so Berlin, you know. Amazing. Um, for your health, I really hope that you had a good use of this today, um, you know. But what about JavaScript in, about, and toilet paper? Well, let's take a step back. You see, a couple of years back, I took a job at a company called Kerber. Kerber is a big giant in uh, industrial manufacturing here in Germany. They are one of the largest manufacturers of industrial machines, including, amongst a thousand other things, between tobacco machines, uh, palletizing equipment, and so on and so forth, we actually do produce machines that produce toilet paper and kitchen rolls. I am embedded with their digital lab, uh, Kerber Digital, um, and at Kerber Digital, we develop digital um, applications for our customers, right? 
More specifically, um, I am in a team that develops this wonderful app. Um, what we're building is called K-Edge. K-Edge is an app that has been designed to offer shift support in for the operators of um, toilet paper machines, right? Um, on K-Edge, as you can see there, you know, like operators of um, Operators of these machines can actually see their production stats, like how many logs they've produced, the average speed at which the machine is running, um, downtimes and whatnot. They can see the telemetry from the machine itself. You can see actually the graph over there. We take that graph, we analyze the speed, we create yellow segments or red segments. Yellow segments are reduced productivity, so when we are below that green line that you see over there, and the red segments is when the machine is actually stopped. So what happens, uh, the operator at that point has the ability to create a digital report of their shift, right? So um, K-Edge is deployed as a, um, on a tablet uh, that goes alongside the traditional HMI. The HMI is that big computer that you see big there that controls actually the machine itself. And the operators use the tablet um, to create a digital journal of their shift and you know, replace their old paper-based um, trail of stuff, right? But, so, let's look a little bit about um, how K-Edge is built. So, this is a quick outline of our um, architecture. Um, the front end is a React app, um, so lots of JavaScript. Um, it's deployed statically on Amazon S3, served through CloudFront. Login um, will be handled uh, by uh, Cognito really soon. And backend communication goes through Redux to a bunch of JavaScript microservices, which um, have been deployed as Amazon Lambda functions and therefore accessible via the AWS gateway. Interesting, isn't it? No. It's 2019, nobody cares about another goddamn React app. Um, you know, like if I were to talk about this, you might just as well go out to the beach and, you know, like catch some sun while you can, you know, enjoy the, the heat and so on and so forth. But so what's actually interesting about what we do? Well, to figure that out, we have to see how toilet paper is actually produced, right? So, thanks to the National Geographic, um, this is how a modern toilet paper factory looks on the inside. Um, this has been shot at Sofidel, which is one of the biggest producers of toilet paper here in the European market. And you can actually hear how loud this place is, right? Giant factories just to make toilet paper. But easier on the ears. Let's look a little bit at how a production line is actually, is actually configured. This is a Perini machine, one of ours, wonderful piece of equipment that runs at around 50 kilometers an hour. Um, and how, how is toilet paper produced? We start from the top left um, with some giant um, jumbo rolls, we call them. Those are three tons of paper, uh, one-ply paper. Um, to put that into perspective, one of those rolls is enough for at least three of you to make toilet paper for the rest of your life, kind of thing. So, uh, pretty big. Uh, we unwind those ones, right? Uh, we unwind them, uh, one, two, or three, or four of them, depending if we want to make one ply toilet paper, two, three, or four ply toilet paper. 
<clears throat> After the three unwinders that you see over here, you, we have what is called the embosser. The embosser basically takes these plies of toilet paper, pushes them together, and embosses this nice little pattern that you see over here. Right? And in the process, it injects air into the paper. So it makes it thicker, it makes it fluffier, softer, gentler on your rear end, maybe. And after the paper is embossed, basically what happens is that the cardboard core here gets produced by that machine that you see in the middle over there. Um, the cardboard core slides in, and we actually start rewinding the embossed paper around the cardboard core in giant logs. A log is around three meters, it's like this, but it's three meters long, right? Those ones go into that thing that looks like a cage, which is an accumulator, which is no more nor less than a buffer decoupling the unwinding part at the top from the cutting and packaging at the rear end of the line. Um, you see at the very top over there, we have a log saw, which basically takes this log and tuk, 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 cuts it and makes these things. And then quickly, the, um, at the left, or no, sorry, at the right of your screen, um, we see the um, uh, packager that basically, you know, takes four, eight, 12 toilet paper rolls, puts them together, wraps them around, nice package that you see on the supermarket. And at the bottom, we have the palletizer, where all these packs get stacked up, put into a pallet, boom, ready for shipping, right? Um, so, but now you will be asking, is all of this controlled with JavaScript? Production, a production line, a even the modern production lines, are controlled by something called a PLC, or Programmable Logic Controller. I like to call them legacy hardware from the last century. This is a last generation Siemens S7 1500, um, top of the line, great PLC. Um, there is one little problem with these beasts that they are still programmed using a thing called ladder logic. Um, <clears throat> This is an example of a program, um, but you know, like in the PLCs themselves, we don't even have variables. In most of the PLCs, we we, we address uh, variables are their location in the memory, so we don't know exactly what's stored here and there. Um, this is definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, programming one of those things is kind of like makes makes COBOL look it's so 2019, you know. And if it's not bad enough, we actually don't work on these beautiful brand new machines most of the time. We use on the machines that have been in the field for like 10, 15 years. This is normally how we find at the PLC. It's a, this is Inga. It's, it's, it's a machine that I had to connect in order to extract data from in order for our application to work correctly, right? And it's a jungle of wire. And, and how do we extract data from this medieval piece of kit. Well, we add more wires. <laughs> we add, you know, like more wires and an industrial PC in there, which we call the gateway. And um, the gateway connects on one side um, to the PLC with this beautiful Ethernet cable. And on the other side, thanks to our friends at Twilio, you will see them in the, in the exhibitor's lounge over there, we have a dedicated LTE connection that pumps the data down to the cloud, right? And this, the gateway, is where we run all this JavaScript goodness that we've wrote. But in, before we get into the JavaScript part, you know, like I wanted to show you a little bit the, the connectivity scenario. So um, on the left, we have the little factory, which is our PLC. Well, in the middle, the chip is, is our gateway, running node. Um, and bridge is kind of like the, the time gap between, you know, like the uh, 
between the last century and now. And on the right, well, obviously, we have the cloud. <clears throat> so the data flow here is interesting because being stuck in the past, the PLC does not know anything about encryption, security, not even a password, right? If I can read from a PLC, I can write to it, I can reprogram it, I can do whatever I want with it. And the only thing that I need to do that is <clears throat> an IP address, which I can connect to. Now, this is very insecure. That has been used many times in the past. Probably the most uh, famous case is when all the centrifuges in, in Iran uh, for processing uraniums were disabled by some malicious code uh, by simply destroying the, the programming on the PLC that spun up those centrifuges and boom, machine is gone, right? So, but when we push the data to the cloud, we want to make sure that everything is safe. So we started looking at the physical boundaries of security. And so we install our gateway into the cabinet where the PLC is. We only have one cable, nothing is in, nothing gets out. Nobody contacts the PLC from outside of the cabinet of the PLC itself, right? And outside, when we want to reach to the cloud, you know, like we have a nice, secure, modern Linux-based, you know, like a VPN on top of an LTE link and yada, 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 right? So we actually implement, we actually define a security perimeter around the PLC so that we can protect it from attacks. And we do this by installing the gateway within, with the PLC itself, right? Um, the gateway in itself also serves a another bunch of purposes. Um, we want to consolidate data, because as much as our friends at Twilio uh, advertise their 4G, in most cases, uh, factories are, you know, they're not very well in terms of receptions. You, most of the times we get 2G, 40 kilobits a second. So that's not quite enough to actually have a full stream of data coming out. So we actually do a lot of data consolidation on the gateway itself. That's why we need the processing power of JavaScript to do that. And um, so we send only, for example, the data that, that changes in the PLC. And we also do a lot of caching. So we, do a, we cache everything that we read onto the device itself because, well, it's 2G wind and, you know, whatever, connectivity comes and goes and so on and so forth. In case of connectivity failures and some hiccup occurs, we can quickly, or as quickly as you can, re-ingest all the data that we have read while the link was down and then continue with normal operation, right? So we started this thing um, with a, a wonderful program by IBM Research that was called Node-RED. Node-RED is a wonderful tool um, because it, it has libraries that allows us to connect to the PLC. And you see here a very, very easy configuration. Every 10 seconds, we read speed. We read like a thing that is called a first alarm. We shift it down to the right. We send it over MQTTS to Amazon, right? This is great. It's a nice GUI. can do quickly th things very quickly. It's all based in JavaScript, and it's amazing, but... Uh, gets really complicated when we start reading like a bunch of variables. Um, this is actually a real configuration file that we had in production when we started reading more valuables to the thing, and it, it really gets a mess. It becomes like a bunch of wires. You never know uh, who is changing what. You, we cannot manage this, this, these files and so on and so forth, right? So a year ago, roughly, it dawned on me and I said, you know what? Well, we have the technology, we're going to rebuild them. Oh, it. And we came up with a thing that is called the PLC reader. Um, PLC Reader is a wonderful little Node.js application that we, wore, we wrote in order to clean up the mess that was Node-RED. Um, JavaScript, why? Because Node-RED was, was built in Node. 
continue with Node because we had the reliability over there. But we <clears throat> managed to bring some automation in the world of point-and-click GUIs, right? It does a very simple job. It reads values from various sources, which we call drivers, and processes in various ways through a pipeline of what we call processors, right? Um, on top of that, it's easily deployed as a Debian package. We built a little tool called Debianize, and it's all managed. All the configuration is not point and click, but it's YAML files. Easy to manage, Git central, we can track who changes what, and we can deploy things with CircleCI and Ansible to all our gateways and whatnot, right? So, um, Let's look at one of those configuration files. Very, very easily here, we have one driver, a driver that, guess what, connects to a PLC, um, a Siemens S7 PLC. We have the IP address and the port to which we connect to, you know, read and write. Um, rack and slot are particular um, parameters for the RFC 106 um, protocol that we're using to talk to these things. And what's important is that every two seconds, we read these variables, or better, we read these memory addresses at DB5102 and at offset 12. That's a word, and that's basically an unsigned 16-bit integer. We call that speed. So that's where we find the speed at which the machine is running. At offset 36, we see the code of the first alarm, and so on and so forth. Right? This is one of the drivers. We have many other drivers which we wrote, um, for example, to um, uh, monitor the performance of our gateway itself. So here I just listed, you know, like load average. Every 10 seconds we read the load average. CPU percentages, every 10 seconds we just calculate the percentage of the CPU used. Memory, we also have latency to monitor the beautiful Twilio connection. Um, and this is how we get, start getting data into the system, right? What do we do with that? It's very easy. We have a bunch of processors which are organized in a pipeline, one after another. Each processor can subscribe to one, two, many, all of the, var all of the values that, that are published by the drivers or are republished by the, by the processors. And here we have a very simple example um, of three processors that we are actually using. The first one is a function, the only line of JavaScript that probably you will see in my talk, which takes the speed, which in the machine is published in decimeters per minute. Don't know why. Um, but we divide it by 10 uh, in meters per minute. Uh, great. Um, the second one, stringify, because, you know, like we read alarms as unsigned 16-bit integers, but they're not actually numbers. We cannot make an average on an alarm code. So we convert them into strings, and we consolidate the stuff that I was telling you before. So, you know, like if the alarm changes, then we publish it. Otherwise, if the alarm has not changed, we swallow that message, right? But the most important, probably, processors that we have are, you know, like the last two that we use at the end of the pipeline, the batcher and the MQTT. Well, the batcher is very simply something that subscribes to all the messages, accumulates them, and every 30 seconds pushes out that thing that you see like over there, message, pushes out a message, which is no more nor less than an array of um, timestamp at which the data was read, the name of the data point, and the value of the data point, giant array. We also do compress it so that it's nice and, nice and tiny when we send over our 2G link. And then the MQTT processor does what it's supposed to be doing, sends it over to MQTT, secure, blah, 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 blah. Very nice. Right? Um, 
This is how we use JavaScript. Everything behind this YML file, every processor, every driver, the entire infrastructure to drive this thing is written in JavaScript. And we're using it like we're, it's, it's been a labor of love. We are extremely proud um, that it's running in production at real customer sites. Um, it's, it's feeding K-Edge with, with live, real data. It has been working out great. If you are a dad, you know, maybe you know how proud you are. Um, the other thing that I mentioned, there were a couple of extra things. Um, enough with the kid. Um, YAML. Um, we wrote a bunch of YAML extensions which we needed for um, these configuration files. Um, YAML is great, but it's also terrible. It doesn't allow including, it doesn't allow a bunch of things. So we wrote a little extension over there to merge um, arrays of arrays. So if we have in one file define a list of drivers, and in another file another list of drivers, we can just merge them together. Um, it works great, obviously, with the next one, which is the include driver. So we include a part, a, a, a snippet of YAML into another file, making sure that all the variables are visible by the included files and whatnot. So there is a little bit of logic over there. And then the last one that you use a lot for configuration is the join. It takes an array of values and concatenates them into a giant string. So it's great for you know things like variables. The certificate ID that repeats 25 million times in, in our configuration files. Right? The other thing that I talked about was DBNIs. Um, DBNIs is simply a little tool that we wrote in order to take your NPM package have it as a deb. Why? Because um, we use Ubuntu on our gateways, so it was easy for us to just um, get one thing out of the way. You just slap it in your package.json, and you just do an npm run dbnize. This is actually the configuration of PLC reader in itself. It's very complex. It has sensible defaults, so it's a one line of addition. Makes a Debian package for you kind of thing. So, um, what's the state for us? What's the state of the onion in, in terms of, you know, like all the stuff that we've wrote so far? We have PLC Reader, um, which is open source. You can just check it out on NPM. Um, we have DBNIs that is ready out for, their, for everybody to use. YAML extensions as well. Open source, you know, just get them, download them. Even if you don't care about PLCs or industrial machines, they're there. They work. Um, we also throw in, like, such, because you're such a good audience, we also throw in a freebie, which is the IronDB Persister. Um, IronDB is the time series database that we use for telemetry data. It's a fantastic time series database developed by a friend of mine, um, Theo Slosenago, and, um, but they had no JavaScript drivers for them, so we wrote them, and, and they're also available for you guys to use if you use uh, IronDB. And that's pretty much it for me, because I think that I have two minutes, and I was wondering if you guys have any questions. Sure. Um, given that the YAML file yeah. probably was written by a programmer, I don't see you handing it over to sales support. Why didn't you just do that as some sort of meta JavaScript? Um, because, that's right, uh, because actually it is readable enough um, that can be handled by uh, pre-sale support. Because in most cases, through the inclusions, that's why we wrote the YAML extensions, there are parts that people don't, don't touch. But for example, the list of addresses in the memory in the PLC, that comes from an Excel file, um, 
that the machine manufacturer actually makes. So that one is handled by a different team. When they change the PLC programming, they can just change that part. And then, you know, like all the rest flows together. So that's why we chose to use YAML rather than, than, than JavaScript for that. But yeah. Anything else? There was a question over there at the bottom, but, you know, like I guess that nobody picks it up. <laughs> Wow, such an amazing question, right? <laughs> I spent the first 15 years of my career building Java systems. I am one of the co-founders of Jakarta and the XML Apache projects. I've been doing Java since 1997. And for me, it's, it's, it's like PLC Reader. It's a labor of love. Um, the problem over there is that we have seen that there is an aggressive actor in the Java world that is actually starting to copyright and push their copyright of the APIs out. Um, we're talking about Oracle over there. Um, that didn't give us confidence that what we were building for, especially in this case, when these gateways are over a 2G link, we didn't have the confidence that we could update the Java virtual machine every six months like Oracle wants us to do kind of thing. And I know that Amazon came out with um, some wonderful uh, things on their side, but I wonder how long those are going to last in a court. So um, JavaScript, on the other hand, you know, ECMA, pretty much every implementation out there is open source, and it gives us the stability that we need. Thank you very much.